and take your Bibles this morning and go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We're going to read a, a short story. This happens uh, just a, li- a very short time after the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2 is where we read about the birth of Christ and the story that you all know well where the angels appear in the sky singing. you got the shepherds coming there to the manger in Bethlehem. No room in the end. You all know that story and we've talked a lot about that over the last couple of weeks. But right after that, we see a story here uh, about a man named Simeon who ends up seeing Jesus. And I want, us, I want you to look at what this man said about Jesus Christ. And I think it's very revealing just how God still works today, how He does things. And I hope you'll get some a blessing from this message. But Luke chapter 2, in verse 25, it says, "...and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And the same man was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I want you to notice what he said there. Simeon, he gives a prophecy here to Mary, Mary, not really to Joseph. Notice how Simeon, when he says this, he's speaking directly to Mary and not to Joseph because he understood that this child wasn't Joseph's. This child was Mary's and the father was God. He understood this. He was a man that was filled with the Holy Ghost. And the part I want to focus on are those words he said to them. He said, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then that phrase in there where he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. I believe he was referring to just the pain she was going to feel when she saw her son die on the cross. And obviously, we, we see that Mary was there at the cross when Jesus died. And that was her son there hanging on the cross. And what that must have done to her, it, it, it was, you know, any mom, I think, could probably imagine what that would have been like. But then look at what he said. The next part, he says, you know, it should be for a sign spoken against. And then he interjects that part about Mary. But then it says um, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's the part I want to focus on. The way Jesus lived His life. Everything that we see about Jesus, it was done in a way to reveal what was in the hearts of people. And that's interesting as we go through and we look at some of these things because it's also true today that the very way Jesus did things, if we do these things this way, it really kind of shows you the heart of people. And sometimes it's not always what we want to see. But we, you do see the truth. And so it's very clear when you study the life of Christ that things did not unfold the way many thought that they would. 
Israel for you know years and years had been waiting for their Messiah. And they all kind of had their own expectations of how they thought things would happen. You know, we're, we've been waiting for the second coming of Christ. And everybody's got their ideas of how things are going to unfold and how they're going to come. And there's a lot of speculation that we do. And I imagine a lot of that went on before Christ came the first time. People speculate, you know, how's it going to happen when the Messiah comes? What's He going to do? How's He going to operate? And we see some things in the Old Testament that, you know, weren't real clear. Some of it's kind of vague. And so they had their ideas of how things are going to happen. And most of it didn't happen the way they thought. We see at the end of the Gospels, because things didn't happen the way the Jews thought they would, they ended up crucifying Jesus. And Simeon, I think, under the influence of the Holy Ghost, he realized that, and that's why he made that comment to Mary about a sword piercing through her. But what's interesting, though, in this story about Simeon is that the Holy Ghost did reveal to him exactly how things would happen. He summed it up in those words in verse 35, where he said that the hearts, or that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You hear a statement we hear all the time in church amongst Christians. You know, you hear people say you need to accept Jesus into your heart. We encourage people to get saved. And you know one thing about that? We can't force people to get saved. We can't force people to give their hearts to Christ. It is a personal decision that everyone has to make at some point in their life. But you know, it is also human nature though to just want to hop on the bandwagon for everything that people do. You know, most people today, you know, are commonly referred to as sheeple. Everybody heard the term sheeple in the last few years? We hear that all the time. Why do we call people sheeple? It's like because they have no will of their own. They just go with the flow. They do what everybody else is doing. I mean, people this year, a lot of Christians this year, a lot of Christians are sheeple. And they don't know what to do because, you know, Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. And how can we do our typical, you know, Santa Claus traditions of getting up Christmas morning and, you know, doing all that stuff when there's church on Sunday? I mean, what are we supposed to do? Well, quit being sheeple and do that. I just told my kids Santa Claus had to come a day early because we got to go to church on Sunday. That's, that's what I told our kids. And, uh, you know, and, you know, we don't, we don't let traditions of men determine what we do. Now, I'm just, I'm stubborn. I'm just kind of, I like to go against the flow even if it's not necessary. I like to do that just because, uh, you know, if I, when I go into Walmart, I like to walk through the exit sign instead of the enter sign. And vice versa when I'm leaving. I don't, I don't know why I do that. It's just, I'm, I'm kind of obstinate that way. But people do, they just want to hop on the bandwagon for everything. They like to do what everybody else is doing. They like to just go with the flow. But everything that Jesus did, it was done in a way to avoid that type of following. You know, there's, there's ways, there's methods today that people are using all the time that if, if you want to start a movement, if you want to start a following, if you're a politician and you're wanting to get votes, there's a way to go about doing that so you can get the masses to follow you. So you can get the numbers of people following you. But let me tell you something. Jesus in His entire life, He did everything in a way that was completely opposite. If Jesus would have hired a campaign manager to help him, hey, listen, I'm going, I'm trying to reach people. I'm trying, I'm going to be trying to get people the gospel. I'm going to try to get people to see that I am the Messiah and I need somebody to, I need an advisor to help me. Well, whoever, if Jesus would have got a campaign manager from today, if he would have gotten Donald Trump's campaign manager, who obviously helped him win, he would have drove 
Jesus would have drove that campaign manager absolutely nuts because Jesus did everything opposite of the way that you're supposed to do it. And at the same time, too, we see that at the end of Jesus' life, He didn't have real big numbers, did He? While He had multitudes during certain times that followed Him, they all eventually ended up leaving Him too, didn't they? We see after Jesus, even after He rose from the dead and walked on earth for 40 days, you know how many people He had with Him after that? About 120. That's it. And you know why? You know, doesn't Jesus care about the numbers? And obviously, He does care about the numbers. But at the same time, numbers sometimes can be inflated and they can be fake. And what when Jesus Christ came to this earth, He came to save people. And if people are going to be saved, it's because they've accepted Jesus Christ in their hearts. And so when we look at what Jesus did, I'm going to show you how everything. It was, it was done in a way completely opposite of what you should do to get numbers. But I believe the reason for that is so it would reveal what was really in the hearts of people. You could find out what they're really thinking. When people are just doing something to go with the flow, to jump on the bandwagon, you don't always really know what's in their heart. They're just doing what everybody else is doing. And Jesus did everything in an opposite way. And so the first thing that we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why is that a sign, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes? Well, that's just strips of clothing. Okay, just, I mean, they found whatever they could. They ripped it up. They wrapped them up in it. And they put them in a manger. A trough that they would put the animal's food in. That doesn't happen every day, does it? That's not what happens every day. That was a sign. And let me tell you, the way Jesus was born was the most humble way you could be born. He was born in a stable. He was born amongst the animals. It wasn't a very sanitary environment, I'm sure. He didn't have a nice, fancy, comfortable blanket to be wrapped up in like the babies do today. He didn't get put in a nice cradle or a nice crib. He got put in a trough that the animals eat out of. He had about the most humble birth that you can imagine. Completely opposite of, for example, uh, you know, some of the royalty, royalty when they have children today. Think about it. This was the Son of God, yet He was born in the most humble way. Look at celebrities today when they have babies. You know, when Prince William and Kate had their baby, what a huge deal the world made over it. I mean, boy, she got all the best treatment. You know, they got, I mean, they, they did the best of everything for that little baby. I mean, they did everything right, just first class, top notch, because this was royalty. And you know what? The whole world paid attention. I mean, it was this big deal. I, I didn't care. But I was supposed to. I mean, everybody cares about this. This is a big deal. I've talked about this before when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie had their first baby. You know, they wanted their privacy, but the world wanted to see this baby. I mean, this is a baby that came from two famous people. This is a big deal. And so they had a wax figure made to look just like their baby. And they they went and they had two wax figures of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie holding a wax figure of their baby, and there was all these photographers taking pictures of it, all excited, taking pictures of a wax figure of their baby. Why? Because these are famous people. This is a big deal. This is something everybody should be excited about. And they even put 
I saw a picture on a magazine of that fake baby. What? I mean, but Jesus, none of that. Absolutely none of it. And you know what? We should, you know, people should have been thrilled when they finally got to see that baby for the first time. Why? Because everybody said it's famous. I mean, you know, who cares about a couple of Hollywood people and their baby they have? I don't care. But we're supposed to care. Why? Because everybody tells us we're supposed to care. Their campaign, or not campaign managers, but their, you know, publicists, they know how to make big deals about these things and how to capitalize on this stuff. And everybody makes a big deal about nothing. And people who shouldn't care, care. And then here, but when Jesus was born, he didn't do any of that stuff. It was very humble. And hardly anybody cared. We see the shepherds, they showed up because the angels told them about it. But that was about it. Just some lowly shepherds. No dignitaries, you know, no famous people. The wise men, they didn't come until a couple years later. And so, notice that humble birth that he had. You know, when he, and see, when Jesus came, to this earth. He used a method to get to the hearts of people of really zero intimidation, zero pomp and circumstance, you know, zero glamour, zero hype, none of that stuff. They didn't do any they, they didn't do any of that kind of thing. So it and it was a way I believe to help get to the hearts because most people today they pay attention to the famous people. They pay attention to what everybody's making a big deal about. They pay attention to whatever's trending on Twitter or Facebook. You know, whatever the news media is talking about, that's what they focus on. Jesus did the complete opposite, and he had none of that. We see also, if you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 22, this, I think this is interesting. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, it says, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb, shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they're, notice they're bringing two turtle doves as, a, as an offering after Mary's purification. And if we're not going to go back and read it, but if you go back and you read Leviticus chapter 12, it gives all the customs. Whenever a male child is born, you know, after eight days you circumcise it, and then I believe it was after... 40 days total that that was when the purification was over. And then you were to go and you were to bring an offering of a lamb was what they were supposed to bring. An offering of a lamb. But sometimes the people were poor and they didn't have money. They didn't have a lamb to give. And so if they were poor and they didn't have a lamb to give, you can see it there in Leviticus chapter 12, you were able to give an offering. You could purchase two turtle doves and give an offering of that instead. And that's what Mary and Joseph had to do for Jesus. They gave an offering of two turtle doves. You know why? Because they were too poor to give a lamb. They were, they were poor. Jesus was not born in a rich family. He was not born in a famous family. He was born into a poor family. Why is that significant? Because if you want to get attention these days and in those days too, if you want to be important, I mean, if God was about getting the numbers, okay, if that's what it was all about, he would have had Jesus born probably into Herod's home. Somebody famous. Somebody that everybody would make a big deal about. Everybody would pay attention to. But do you understand when it comes to, to rich people, alright, it, we do, we, we make a big deal about rich people sometimes. We elevate rich people in a way that we shouldn't sometimes. And rich people sometimes get followings of people that are not sincere. 
that are not for real. And that's not what Jesus was looking for. We see also, I'm going to show you some more verses on this in a second, but Jesus, not only did He was He born in the most humble way possible, not only did He live in a poor family, so nobody's going to care about Him, nobody's going to pay attention to Him, but He even worked He worked a physical job. He worked a menial job. We see in Mark chapter 6 that He was the son of a carpenter. It mentions, is not this the carpenter's son? And then also in one of the other accounts of the Gospel, it referred to Him. Is not this the carpenter? Jesus worked as a carpenter. Nothing glamorous. Nothing fancy. You know, He was not someone that people would look at and admire. You know who most people follow today? People follow those that have something that they want. And what do most people want today? Money. Power. Fame. You know, that's what they want. You know, influence. They want all those things. If you have money, okay, you'll, you can get a following. If you have fame, you can get a following. Jesus didn't have any of those things, yet He came to get a following, didn't He? But because He didn't have any of those things, it was going to be very clear whoever did follow Jesus was doing it for the right reason. We see in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20, it says, "...the poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends." It says in Proverbs 18.11, "...the rich man's wealth is his strong city, and in high wall in his own conceit. Before destruction the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility." Many times the rich, they do. They can get that following because people are hoping, I can get something from them. Hey, I'd like to get my hands on some of their money. You know, they've got power. Uh, if I if I can be friends with them, it might help me out. It might help me, you know, climb the ladder. And the truth is, when you, when you are when you come from riches, when you come from fame, people will follow you. People will listen to you. But Jesus didn't come from that. I mean, I remember the song. If I were a rich man, from Fiddler on the Roof. All right, I've always liked that movie, Fiddler on the Roof, and I like one of the lines in that song. He talks about the most important men in town will come to fawn on me. They will ask me to advise them, like Solomon the Wise, you know, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. And it won't make one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. When you're rich, they think you really know, and that's true. Somebody's rich. Oh, he knows what he's talking about. Man, you know, he's got money. He knows what he's talking about. And so Jesus, I mean, let's think about it. He's got the truth. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. Wouldn't it make sense that he would come into a famous family and a rich family? Wouldn't it make, wouldn't it have made sense that when he was born to, you know, have, you know, think about it. If Gabriel would have come to Herod and his wife, hey, an angel, they'd have told everybody about it. You know, they would have made a huge deal about it, and wouldn't it have helped Jesus get a bigger following? And it would have, but the problem is, the hearts of people wouldn't be revealed because everybody follows rich people. Everybody follows famous people. Everybody goes along with those who have what they want. We see Jesus didn't receive any special privileges. If you go and you look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, look at that. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. I think this is interesting too. Something that Jesus says in here. And I've never really liked this passage of Scripture because it tells us we ought to pay taxes. And I don't like that. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but we should. But Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, it says that when they were come to Capernaum, they that had received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? 
Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto them, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou into the sea, and cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, and take and give unto them for me and thee. What Jesus was talking about here, he said, okay, when he got mad at Simon for when he when he told him that his master pays tribute, because Jesus wanted Simon to realize, now wait a minute, this tribute that they were receiving, that the the actual thing they were raising money for, this was a custom they had, and the money that they were taking, it went to the Lord. Okay, it was it was an offering or it was a tax that they took and they gave it to God. Okay. Well, Jesus told them when people collect taxes or tribute from people, they they get it from strangers, not the children. Okay, the kings, they didn't tax their children, didn't they? They taxed everybody else. And if this tax was one that was for God, and Jesus is the Son of God, he was tax. He should have been tax exempt, shouldn't he? They shouldn't have been collecting tax from him. If this tax was for God then what are they doing taxing the Son of God? Now, obviously, the world didn't understand that. And so Jesus told Peter, lest we should offend them, you know, go catch a fish, but, you know, and then give the tax money for me and thee. Jesus paid the tax, but he wanted, he was trying to teach Peter here that I'm the Son of God. I shouldn't have to pay this tax. I should be tax exempt. I should get special privilege like the sons of kings do. But Jesus didn't get that, did He? Jesus didn't get special privilege. You know, we look up to people who get special privileges. I mean, you'll think about the royalty over there in England that everybody just looks up to and gives special privilege to. What do those people even really do anymore? I mean, they're not even the ones really running the country anymore. But they're special. They're privileged. You know, we all make a big deal about them. You know, it, it, um, a friend of mine a few, some years back went to Six Flags. And you can get, if you pay a lot of money, you can get VIP access uh, while you're there. And you don't have to wait in lines. They will just let you go and cut in front of everybody and just get right on the ride. I mean, you get that you get all these privileges. They treat you like royalty when you're there. And he was just talking about how great it was. You know, you'd see all these people watching you. You know, they watch you cut in line, and they got people escorting you around. And you know, he'd just kind of sit there and just look all arrogant, like, "Yeah, I'm really, you know, I'm really something." It would just drive people crazy. And he wanted me to go with him the next year, and I wasn't able to do it. But it would have been a lot of fun getting all that special treatment. You know, walking around like you're somebody important. And you know what, people. They're impressed by that kind of stuff. They do. They see the special privileged people, and they do. They they make a big deal about them. You, you know, you think we wouldn't like those people. Some of us don't like them because we're jealous, I guess. But uh, but we do. We we pay more attention to those people. You know, people want to know their opinion. Why? Because they're they're privileged. Because they're famous. Whatever. It's amazing. You know, I'm always blown away when I hear you know news reporters talking to actors about political things. What do these people know? You know, they're actors. They had one lady, I forgot who she was, she testified in Congress. They had they had her speak in Congress about something concerning, you know, women's rights issues and they because they figured this woman knows a lot. She understands what it's like to be a woman because she plays 
a woman like from the 1970s during a time when you know women didn't have a lot of equality or something. It's like she plays a character. That doesn't mean she knows anything, but boy, they treat they you know they treat them like they do. You know, they'll interview somebody like I think it was Kevin Spacey. You know, about presidential things because he's played a president on TV. He doesn't have a clue. He's playing a part. He memorizes a script. But these people, they're special privilege, and people listen to them. Just because they're privileged, because they're rich, because they're famous. And you know what? Jesus didn't have any of that. And that's one of the reasons people didn't they what's one of the reasons people didn't listen to him? He didn't get any special treatment. Um go go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter seventeen, verse twenty four. I want to read something to you there. Or no, not Matthew chapter seventeen. Um, you know, I didn't write the passage down. Remember when he was in Capernaum in his own or uh, or Nazareth, I believe it was, in his own city, and he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And that's when he said, "Is not this the carpenter's son? We know him. We know where he comes from. He's nobody special. He's not from a special family. He doesn't have any of those things." And Jesus did not do many mighty works there. Because of their unbelief. They would not listen to Him because He was not somebody privileged. He was not somebody special. He wasn't from a rich family. Had He been from a rich family, had He been from royalty, had He you know, had special privileges, they would have listened to Him. But they didn't. We, they saw Him grow up. They saw Him live a life as a carpenter. They saw Him working hard. And so they didn't pay attention to Him. We see that also... You know, when he finally made his triumphal entry that was prophesied about in Zechariah 9 9, he didn't come riding in on a white horse, did he? What does it say in Zechariah 9 9? It prophesied it was going to happen this way. It said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. You know, we call it the triumphal entry because we understand what it was. But understand the way it looked. He's riding in on a small donkey, one that nobody's ever even rode on before. You'd think he would do have done kind of like the Antichrist, a white horse. You know, it mentions there in Revelation. That's not what he did. He came in humble. He came in lowly. We don't pay attention stuff like that. You know, have you ever? Seen, you know, whenever you see limos, you know, you see those stretched limos driving around the road. You know, what do you think? Oh man, I wonder who's in that limo. We think it must be somebody important. Look at the car. You know, look at, you know, look at that, look at that vehicle. But when you see a junkie vehicle, uh, who cares who's in there? You know, they, you know, they don't matter. You know, you see that real expensive car. You know, somebody driving a, a Lamborghini or something like that. Man, you know, who is it? I remember we went to a Cubs game one time, and Michael Jordan was there. And I remember when he left, everybody you know, was watching him leave. And they went and they watched him. I remember we watched him as he went out into the parking lot and he got in his car. And I forgot what kind of car. I think it was a Ferrari or something. I mean, just a fancy car. And he went driving off. And whoa, you know, look at what he's driving. You know, man, and, and he was important. He was Michael Jordan. He was a good basketball player. And, you know, and everybody pays attention to that. But Jesus didn't do that. He did it in a humble, lowly way. 
We see that He lived His life as a servant. Philippians 2.6 says, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. He lived as a servant." You know, and we he lived like a normal man. To me, wouldn't it have made more sense if when Jesus came to earth, he would have looked like he did in Revelation, with eyes as a flame of fire and hair white and you know, feet like bread. I mean, wouldn't that get more people's attention? Wouldn't that have made a bigger impact? But no, he he looked just like anybody else. When Judas betrayed him, he had to tell the soldiers, the one that I kissed, that was how he identified who Jesus was. He looked like just one of the other Jewish people that were from around there. There was nothing about him physically that attracted people to him. He didn't have any, he probably wasn't the best looking guy. You know, that's another thing too that will get you, you know, attention these days. If you're just really good looking, if you have a really good physique, or, you know, you've got great hair or whatever, you know, people will think you're something special because of that. Jesus had none of that. There was nothing, you know, physically about him that would attract people to him. He lived as a servant. He, in the Gospel of John, we see him washing the disciples' feet. Okay? You're not going to see famous people doing that. You know, you're not going to see, you know, the Donald Trumps of the world, you know, washing people's feet. That's not what they do. You're going to see everybody else running them, bowing before their feet. That's what people do today, and that's how that's how you get a following. You do you don't do that by washing people's feet, but that's what Jesus did. We see he put up with disrespect, and he died a horrible and shameful death. We read in Matthew chapter twenty seven, verse twenty eight, it says, And they stripped him. And they put on him a scarlet robe, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him, and took the reed and smote him on the head, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. What a horrible, shameful death he died, and he put up with that. Okay? We're all impressed with the people who can put up a fight. You know, we're all impressed by the Chuck Norrises when somebody comes along. You know, they roundhouse kick all of them and you know beat them all down. Those are the people that we look up to. Those are the people we pay attention to. Jesus took it, and we understand now that you know He took it for us. He was taking He was taking payment for our sin. But you know, most people today they judge who's right by who's most popular. Who's got the bigger following? Who got the most votes? You know, who's this? Who's that? That's how we judge who most people's right. But Jesus, he had the multitudes crying, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Every everything that happened in Jesus' life, it was it was by design. It was what he wanted, and it was everything opposite of what a person should do to try to get a following. But he did that, I believe. I believe our Lord lived His entire life in the lowliest way possible. The Lord and His followers, you know, God's never been popular. You know, Christians, we've never been the most popular people. Just like Him, we suffer persecution. But that's what's so brilliant and so amazing about what He did. How God does everything. 
Because of how God did this, it makes it very clear what's in people's hearts. Remember what what Simeon said. You know, he he mentioned you know that the uh, thoughts of the hearts may be revealed. If Jesus would have had, you know, all the other things, all the glamour, all the riches, there would have been a lot of people following him. That it would have been fake. Everybody talked a lot in this election about Donald Trump about how much he used his children. You know, and that and it was and he often said it was because he could trust them. Because when you're rich and powerful, there's always a bunch of people just waiting to stab you in the back. You never know who you can trust. And with Jesus Christ, he wants he wants it to be clear who the true followers are, who the true believers are. If being a Christian made you popular, everybody would want to be a Christian. If being a Christian made you rich and famous, everybody would want to be a Christian. But you know what? God is not interested in getting a you know a following of big numbers. What He wants is our hearts. And if Christ, if you really believe in your heart, if you really believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know what? You'll take the persecution. You'll take the unpopularity. You'll you'll be okay with that because you do. You believe Him. You believe His words are true. You believe He's going to keep His promises. You believe that there's a heaven. You believe that there's rewards waiting for you. And so you know what? Who cares? Who cares what everybody else is doing? I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care the way the world's going. I don't care the way churches are, are doing things. I believe what His Word says. I believe that in my heart. And so you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And He did it that way on purpose to reveal what was in the hearts of people. And it's amazing. Simeon, he, he understood that. How do you understand it? He was, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he, he called it, Jesus did everything completely opposite of what we would think a person should do to get a following. But he did that to make sure the following he got was the real thing. And my question for you today is, is are you a part of that following of Christ? If you're looking for something that's going to make you popular, make you rich, make you famous, you know, just make you have a better life, just that, well then you know what? Uh, this might not be for you. It's not always easy being a Christian. It's not always doing the right. It's not always easy doing the right thing. It's not always a glamorous thing. But let me tell you something. If you believe in your heart on the words of Jesus Christ, who cares about that other stuff? And I say, who cares? Who cares what the rest of the world's doing? Who cares? I don't care because I believe in my heart in Jesus Christ and what He says, and I'm going to follow Him. And you know what? Right now. It's it's a humble thing, but we see one of these days he is going to be exalted. One of these days he's going to come back. One of these days as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so you know, I'm not going to wait till then to hop on the bad wagon. The Bible says, "Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." That day is going to come where everyone realizes who He is. But for many of those people, it's going to be too late. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do it right now. I'd rather do it when everybody else is not doing it. I would rather walk through the exit when everybody else is walking through the entrance. I'm going. To, I'm fine with doing why the Bible says. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. I'm going to keep living my life by the rule. If everybody's doing it, I'm not doing it. 
even if it's not necessarily wrong. Why? Because I want to keep that mentality of straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. That's what the Bible says and I believe it. And Jesus, He did. He was able to reveal what was in the hearts of people. Those who followed, who followed Jesus, who stayed faithful, like His disciples, those 120 people like Mary and Martha, we know those people, they really believed in Him in their heart. It was clear because they did it when Jesus did things, everything in the opposite way because they really believed Him. And I hope you really believe Him today. I hope you're not just here because it's, it's, it feels popular. It's, it's not that popular right now. But even if we do get popular, man, I'm almost scared of popularity. I'm scared of all those bandwagon people that come along. They usually just end up ruining everything. You know what? Let's, let's keep being humble ourselves. Let's just keep doing things in a humble way like Christ did. That way, we can avoid getting all the fake and phony backstabbers that come along and we can continue having the real deal. That's what I want. And let's do things the way Jesus did. So with that, let's all stand together.